I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And let me tell you, We coach athletes who play in the very thin air of world-class performance. We coach athletes who are chasing their next podium at triathlon events. We also coach athletes who are seeking to improve on their last personal performance in racing. Other athletes we coach are looking to be successful in just crossing the first finish line of a new type of event or challenge. And finally, we coach those who don't compete instead looking to integrate their training methodology and lessons to help boost their health and performance across all aspects of life. It's a wide range, but there's a common thread that unifies all Purple Patch athletes, without exception, and that is the desire to improve. Whether you're seeking to win a world championship or simply to optimize energy throughout the day We, as humans, embrace and love the journey just that little bit more when we improve, when we see progression. You feel me? Well, today, no matter where you fall on that big spectrum of athletes, I deliver a path for you to enhance your physical improvements. Embrace the lessons of today and you will get faster. Hmm, appealing, eh? Today, we investigate a little bit of the special source of Purple Patch, the power of what we might call strength-based training. Now, it's not about the gym today. It's about hill work on the run, low cadence on the bike, and much more. But I promise you, the work that you can do that enables you to amplify the return on your training hours that you put in swimming, cycling, and running. And I think it's going to be fun, and I really hope it's going to be helpful. But before we dig into the meat and potatoes, we first want to do a squatty update. And this week, I want to remind you of our mission at Purple Patch, namely to educate and empower all human beings to reach their athletic potential. And it's through the lens of via athletic potential you end up reaching your human potential. Well, we try to live up to this. And this show is obviously a big avenue for us to try and help you. But quite often we finish the show and we find ourselves wanting to give a little bit more. It might surprise you, but sometimes I've even got more to say. And a great example of that is today's episode where we're going to have a big discussion on strength-based training so that you can improve. But there's still going to be more and we want to give more. And so we've decided this week, you know what, let's do it. We've put together a series of education, including webinars, articles, and different thoughts to enable you to dive deep into the best strategies of how you can actually go fast on a racing course that's flat. And well, supposedly fast, but so often people are challenged. They underperform on courses that on paper look really fast. And there's a reason for that. And there are some really, really strong cases to be made on applying a methodology 
that is strength-based to help you go fast. And so we thought, you know what, let's share this. It's a fun week-long package of education and insights, including a deep dive into our approach on training on the bike and run. And we've packaged it up just for you. Think about it as our winter gift to help you. So the question straight away is, how do you get your grubby paws on it? Well, it's very simple. You go to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash fast course training. Fast course training. Very simple. We're going to put it in the show notes as well. Oh, and I suddenly realized I need to translate into Americano. Sorry, how British of me. Purplepatchfitness.com fast course training. Is that better? Well, once you head there, we're going to start you into the drip feed and you're going to get some really helpful education that will guide your journey. Purplepatchfitness.com, fast course training and absolutely no strings attached. Just please, please, please take advantage of the lessons and put them to good use. We love to hear you improve it. Okay, all good fun, good stuff. And I'm looking forward to you guys learning a little bit. And now, ladies and gentlemen, rub your hands in delight because we've got a new little feature. Ooh, the bleeding eck are you. Yes, the new feature. Ooh, the bleeding eck are you, I say, like a market store salesman in East London. Whew, that's a little rude, don't you think? Yeah, but a little fun all the same because this new section is a breakdown of a real life purple patch athlete that can provide inspiration, perhaps a cautionary tale, or just some insight into how a purple patch athlete actually evolved their performance. Ooh, the bleeding eck are you. It's all about you, the listeners. And this week, we're going to do a case study on a real athlete that we coach. It's a good friend, Bill. And I asked Bill and he said, you know what? I'd rather take a back seat on the last name. Sometimes we're going to share the full picture and the full name and put them to the forefront. But Bill said, yeah, leave me to the back on this one. So protecting Bill a little bit, but real life athlete, long time purple patch athlete, whose case study came out of a friendly argument that I had with Bill actually. And it was sitting at the dinner table at a training camp several years ago. Now at the time, Bill was a good athlete and Bill loved riding his bike. He immersed in training, and he also immersed himself in theory, research, trends on equipment and training and well beyond. He just loved the process. But at this time, as we engaged in this lively discussion, the common trend in cycling was all about high cadence. The theory? Develop high efficiency. And no matter the situation, the quest for every bike rider was keep your cadence over 90 revolutions per minute. Hey, good enough for Lance and company. Well, good enough for me. And Bill sat down with me and he argued how his mission in an Ironman was simple. Keep the power in line, really tight, right in line with what physical parameters could enable him to do. Quote, set it and forget it almost, and save his legs for the run by sitting at a higher cadence throughout that bike ride. And he made a compelling argument with many, many reasons for keeping the power the same, no matter the terrain or wind. 
and the cadence up in the heights of 95 revolutions or above. The only small limiter in his arguments was a concept called uh, physics. Now, I'm not going to break down the physics today, but following doing so to Bill, it left a very simple option for him in his approach. He was either going to go through the bike course slower than his potential, or he was going to go too hard and surely blow up in the run. Not a very compelling option for him, really. Now, Big Bill did acknowledge that he often struggled in his run coming off the bike, but he'd always assumed that it was the running training that was the limiter. And so, case study format, quick diagnosis. Well, Bill wasn't leveraging all of the returns of his hard work on the bike, and he worked hard. He'd fallen into the trap of mimicking athletes that had a whole different set of physiological gifts, many, many more years of training and hours of training availability each week, and in fact, were training for events that were completely different than his goal. And we wanted to develop a toolbox of performance traits and awareness via our approach to cycling that actually applied to what his goal was as a multi-sport athlete. And so what was the intervention? Well, Bill, and I give him a lot of credit for this, he embraced the purple patch approach for six months. Now, it took about six weeks to create a convert. What we did was very, very simple. Plenty of riding at self-selected cadence, some at high cadence, high efficiency pedaling. Yep, there's some truth in it. But most of the key intervals anchored around a variety of low to very low cadence pedaling. Now, in the process, we didn't just change the interval type. We also wanted to actually integrate education. And so we invited Bill to become really, really aware of the sensations that he felt. And the headline news that he reported from these five or six weeks of training was that low RPM work tended to create easier breathing and heart rate with no loss of power. Hmm, interesting. High cadence pedaling left stress on the breathing and the heart rate, but ultimately, ironically, didn't really save the legs, didn't make them feel much fresher. And on top of it, him being actually quite a smart bugger, when he was faced with wind in the face, in other words, a headwind, adding a little tension on the chain with that low cadence riding actually helped him keep the speed up much more than sticking rigidly to that high RPM quest. And the interesting part about that is it came with no more perceived physiological cost. And so the results of all of this, well, the impact was ultimately more nuanced than just, oh, getting more power or going faster. Because what happened in this process is he ended up delivering himself an education, an education in riding. And he learned how to actually make better use of the fitness and the power that he had. In essence, he developed a toolkit of how to manage terrain with his riding style. He optimized the return on his training time to build resilience needed to succeed in the demands of his event. And ultimately, Bill was then equipped to apply the principles of training to the terrain that he faced, realizing that the mission, his mission, wasn't just to train more to get more and more power, but instead to yield the best speed return from the power that he actually had. The success 
is wheel speed over the course, not best average power. And of course, all of this ended up enabling him to follow this bike ride that was now a faster bike ride with the best run possible. And that's the interesting thing. It was the run that also got faster. His smarter riding created variance. That's a good thing for the body. And allowed was the gateway to allow open or better running off the bike. And so for the first big beefy, ooh, the bleed neck of you, well, Bill, from skeptic to convert, it was an athlete evolved. And it wasn't because I won any argument at the dinner table at the camp. It was because of Bill's willingness to try something new, to lean in, to grow. And that's why Bill has my greatest respect and I'm proud of his development, both on the bike and in the sport generally. And so I thought, you know what? You deserve the accolades, Bill. You have a well-earned spot as the very first installment on our new little feature. Ooh, the bleeding egg are you. And with that, Barry, I know who the heck you are because I can't get rid of you. And every time I turn, there you are strumming your little strings and giving a little jig. And so I say to you, get jiggy with it. Lead us in, ladies and gentlemen. It is Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the wings. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week this week is Thoughts. Athletics provide an arena of learning for life. It's a wonderful proving ground to perform across all aspects of life. And in context, it's a safe place for every athlete, you're all athletes, to test, learn, and grow. Aspects such as how to overcome adversity, how to manage failure, ensuring that you focus on the controllables, and so much more. And as in life, thoughts can be a really pesky part of the athletic journey. They can really be an annoyance. They can dismantle the training process. They can erode confidence. They can impede the simple process of progression. Thoughts. Am I fit enough? What are the other athletes doing? Am I really good enough to do this? Do I need to lose weight? Am I a failure after that bad session? All very normal and common thoughts for an athlete who actually cares about their results, their goals, and are committed to a journey. The progression to improvement and accomplishment promises many, many ups and downs, several setbacks, a suite of challenges and plenty of times that you're going to be forced to stare yourself in the proverbial mirror and answer the questions that are put in front of you. And it is normal to feel the pollution of thoughts that can erode confidence or challenge your commitment even. But all of these are just thoughts. They happen, but they don't need to dominate you or force you down a particular path. And if you accept that these are normal and they are just what they are, thoughts, you can actually shift your relationship. You can interact with them. You can accept them. 
And then you can begin carving methods to set the mind in the right place and be focused instead on the aspects that you really can control. Now, many of the thoughts in the training journey, oh, and I will point out in life, can drive you down an incredibly negative trajectory. But as soon as you embrace the fact that these thoughts don't need to dominate or control, the faster you can get on with the process and the stuff that you can control and what we might call the journey. And that is a great tool and mindset to help you develop resilience and adaptability. My words of 2021. And so, ladies and gentlemen, embrace what thoughts are. They are simply just that thoughts. And that is why they are our word of the week. Now, let's get stronger. Let's dive in to the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let me start with this. If I want to go faster, I need to train faster, yes? Mm, yes, sometimes. But the greatest catalyst of performance improvement tends to flow from a higher load, strength-based training approach. Let's just, today, cut to the chase. Let's dig in here. We are going to break down three main elements. The first is for the bike riders, the role of high torque, low cadence riding. The second, the big value of hill-based training and running. And finally, the role of strength and conditioning to optimize the returns from all of these intervals that you do. So we're going a little bit more curriculum-based today. We're going to break it down conceptually. And so without further ado, I'm just going to get cracking. Don't hold me back, as they say. Let's begin with bike riding. Now, this is going to get a little tangly here. So stick with me when I explain this. Just stay with me. Close your eyes. Don't focus about anything else. And let me explain a couple of things about riding your bike. Let's imagine that you're riding your bike on a flat road. And we're riding along no parameters. You, as everyone else will, will fall into a relatively narrow range of cadence or the number of times that your legs go around in circles every minute. We call it RPMs, revolutions per minute. And you will fall into a place that for you will be most effective or most efficient. And the vast majority of athletes, that's around 80 to 85 revolutions per minute, RPM. That's how I'll refer to it. When you face a grade, so going slightly uphill, or even when the wind is in your face, what we call a headwind, many athletes will start to stray a little bit lower in cadence, making the effort more muscular, even if they realize it or not. And that might be 65, 70, 75 RPM. And then on the other end, with a shallow downhill grade or a tailwind, the wind behind you, your cadence might creep up. 90, 95, 100 RPM. And this range, 65 at the low end, 100 RPM at the high end, that's what I would label your normal range of pedaling. And for 99% of the time that you're riding outside, 
outside of specific training. That's where you'll sit, somewhere between 65 on the low end, creeping up to 100 RPM or so on the high end, but most of the time somewhere around 80 to 85 revolutions per minute. Good. Well, in training, we place a lot of value and emphasis at Purple Patch on the ends of this range. That's why we call it the end of range training. Very, very high cadence pedaling and more to the point of today's show, very low cadence pedaling. Now today, we're only going to focus on the lower end of the range. We're gonna skip the benefits of the high, high cadence pedaling, the top end of range. We want to discuss the merits of low cadence riding. So let's explore. Let's first discuss the concept. The vast majority of athletes and coaches out there and almost everything you'll read is gonna be primarily focused around power, building all of the training sessions at a percentage of your max effort or a percentage of your threshold. And then the athlete is left to their own devices to decide how fast to move their legs. So I believe that you are gonna benefit from yes, thinking about how much power should I produce or how hard should I go, but then adding a different piece of the puzzle into this. Some high torque, low cadence riding. The question that you have is why? Well, let's think about what these low cadence sessions provide. The first is they're a great gateway to improving your pedal stroke and your posture. The very high torque work and low cadence pedaling forces you, if you're gonna do it well, to retain a really fluid pedal stroke. You shouldn't have any gaps or loss of tension on the chain. It should be smooth. And add to this the prerequisite that you hold yourself accountable to retain a really quiet, supple, calm, upper body. It actually forces improvement in both your posture, keeping your upper body quiet and not having any power bleed, and your pedal stroke. And in itself, that's really nice. But that's not the main reason that we do high torque, low cadence pedaling. The low RPM work is also a massive, and I mean massive, over-recruitment tool for the available muscle fibers that can then go into your usable mix in regular riding. And so what we're doing by shifting cadence incredibly low is to shift the emphasis from a balanced place of stress between your cardiovascular and your musculoskeletal strain. And we actually bring cadence down and therefore emphasize a more muscular type effort. And this forces great recruitment of muscle fibers. And this becomes a gateway to use these additional, often previously dormant fibers in either higher intensity intervals that you might do or to utilize when you're riding under a fatigue state. In other words, it's a prerequisite to enable you to have an increased capacity for work. Super duper, I'm sold. But we can add to this on top of it that by embracing this style of training, 
you're also going to get an essential development of what we call a toolkit, just like Bill, who we spoke about earlier. It's a toolkit that you can utilize in your real world riding. You see, when you get developed in this training approach, you're going to be able to mix in some lower cadence riding to ensure that you can vary loads or utilize it in appropriate riding situations. Example, riding into a headwind or shifting loads in climbing. And this can be really helpful and assist in the best speed return for any given situation. In fact, well-trained riders in strength endurance report being able to add gears when they're going up a hill, lower their cadence, and experience much lower heart rates, and a drop in perceived effort at the same or more power. Goodness me, it's like money for nothing. Now, globally, this training is the and I mean the, it is the biggest path for you to develop the essential ingredients for your best riding. And in fact, the best riding as well as the best running off the bike. And that is muscular resilience. This is a training tool that helps you get massive muscular resilience. Now to execute these sessions, we carefully, and I mean carefully, progress riders from executing intervals first in the low 60s, so that's the, the low end of your regular range, and then progressing all the way down to very, very low cadence riding, all of which done at a pretty high effort, 35, 40, 45, 50 revolutions per minute. And I would argue that these types of sessions are the very backbone of our history, and we have a rich history, of fostering some of the stronger bike riders in the sport. But I would also add they're a critical element for all levels of rider. You can benefit from it too. Now, of course, like all aspects of training, there is a process to go through. If you hear this podcast and you hop up and you'll say, consider it sold, and you rush and jump right into high effort, very low cadence pedaling, that's going to be a recipe for, mm, yeah, that's right, a recipe for disaster. Your kneecaps will pop out. So instead, you want to have a smart progression over months or even years that will become the rallying cry of your riding improvement. Now, it's also important for me to point out that I am most certainly not calling for you to take every single bike ride, including your race, as a chance to execute low, low, low cadence ride. This is simply a training stimulus. It fits into a broader program. And the fact remains that you're going to go out and ride much of your event and most of your outside rides at your self-selected cadence. But we will have fostered improved resilience and a tool in the toolbox for you to utilize once the terrain or the conditions dictate. And so low cadence riding, great interval sessions, really, really good. I will point out, as we're talking about this now, what we talked about before, yes, purplepatchfitness.com forward slash fast course training. There's a lot more about this in our free giveaway. So I encourage you to head to that landing page, 
and get going on the extra education. But that is example number one when we talk about strength-based training. The second example about getting strong to go fast is in your running training. Now, when we discuss this, many of the more basic concepts of what we talked about in our riding training just now actually carry over to running hills. But there is more to this for the run. So I want us to start when we consider hill-based training for the run. I want us to first talk about the very basic elements that make up good running form. The first is have good posture. In other words, stand up really tall. Super. You want to be long, you want to be tall, you don't want to be crouched, you don't want to look like a sack of potatoes. The second is you want gravity to work in your favor. So from the ankles, you want to have a slight lean forward without any bend at the waist so that your shoulders can end up being in front of hips and you start to enable momentum to occur. And finally, you want your arms supple, carried nice and fluid and driving back behind you because that is going to be a catalyst for you to create as an outcome of those three elements, your highest leg speed and the foot landing as close to your hip line as possible, all which is preferable for you to improve your economy in running and your return of speed on your effort. And so good posture, slight lean, arm supple and driving back. These are the elements that are essential for good running form. And these elements are most naturally promoted when you're running against a grade. Not just any grade, but a grade that is about four, five, or 6% in steepness. Anything above that over an extended period is really, really hard to get the push, the drive. You end up just lifting the knee. And so we like to keep the grade a little more, bit more manageable so that you can promote good form. Great. So straight away, we say super duper. Thank you very much. Hill-based training is going to help my technical development in running. And that's true. We want to improve your run form. And you can do a lot worse than integrating plenty of hill-based running into your program for that. But the gravity fight isn't just about you improving your technique. There are many more benefits to hill running than simply that. In fact, hill-based running also promotes, number one, an over-recruitment of muscle fibers. This is very, very similar to the concept that we discussed in low-cadence riding. Fire up those fibers and they become a part of what we call your usable mix. In other words, they'll be available for power or speed in the harder intervals. Or in the same way as riding, they will be available in the fight for you to retain form when fatigue comes. In these events that many of you guys do, fatigue will come. Hills also fire the right muscle fibers. What do I mean by that? All oh, muscle is good, aren't it? Yeah, it is. But hills fire the right muscle fibers, the ones we want to fire. And here's the thing. Generally, our brains, as smart as we are, they're not very good at firing or what we might call communicating with the muscles behind our ears. In other words, our hamstrings, our glutes, Take your hands together behind your back and brush it down over your butt and your back of your legs. That part of your body, it's what we call the posterior chain. 
running against a grade lights up these very important muscles. And those contribute to both good form and better speed. And that's really good because those elements come to life when you're running down on the flats. And so that's why that's the genesis of if you want to go fast, run hills. There it is. And finally, just as in our discussion with low cadence pedaling, hill-based running tends to develop the resilience of your running muscles. And that is so, so important in events where the demands are the retention of any pace that you're doing and equally the retention of form over longer durations. Resilience is the magic word of longer distance racing. Now, there are different tools or sessions that make up hill-based running. There are some shorter and quite often steeper ones that we might label high power hills. They tend to be intervals less than a minute in duration. Then we have more sustainable form-based resilient intervals that might be two, three, four, ten minutes, even more than that. And that's always executed at a more shallow grade, four, five, or six percent. And finally, we have less defined hilly-based training. And that less defined hilly-based training is executed, if I have my preference, on a soft surface. In other words, trail running. Yes, trail running. It's really, really good for you. And all of these different types of stress or training intervals, short, high power, longer and more sustainable, and less defined trail-based running, they're all really important. They should be embraced. In fact, we embrace this type of run training for every single one of our athletes, especially, and this is going to blow your mind a little bit, especially for those who are preparing for flat races. What? Did I say that? Yes. To go fast, get strong. Okay. The final piece of the puzzle is number three, strength training. Now, we've talked a lot about strength training lately, and we very recently had a super episode with our very own coach, Michael Zinsky, just a few weeks back, and we'll make sure that we leave the details of that episode in the show notes if you missed it, and if you did, listen up. We also had the launch of our what seems already very, very popular strength-based program, our strength-only training program that acts as a wonderful backbone and a supplement to those of you that are self-coached or athletes that are coached or in a coaching relationship and seeking to supplement their endurance training with our program. It's all video-based and it's wonderful. And as I've mentioned before, you can find details about that program in the show notes or just on the strength tab of purplepatchfitness.com. But I know we've talked about it a lot. We cannot have a show about strength-based endurance training with at least bubbling up and a few words on the critical supplement of integrated strength and conditioning. So Dixon says to go fast, get strong. Does he mean that strength work directly leads to faster riding or running? No, not directly. Integrated strength is highly valuable. No, it's critical. 
but not because it's a direct path for you to get faster. And so I want to put a little perspective on it. You see, for you to get faster in your chosen endurance activity, you've got to train very hard in that activity. And so in running hills, they are a great catalyst to performance gains. And in high torque, low cadence intervals on the bike, they are going to kickstart you becoming a stronger rider. These are, in the concepts of biking and running as we're talking about today, these are your bullseye. They're the things that you build it around. But strength is the supportive element that optimizes the results of your efforts in your bullseye intervals. And so the question that you should rightly have is why? Well, there are many elements. The first, the supporting cast. A focused effort to improve your stability, core strength, coordination and movement patterns enables you to optimize those movement patterns and increase the effectiveness of the results of your prime muscle movements in your specific sport. So what you want to think about is strength training as providing the supportive chassis that enables the prime movers, the specific muscles to your sport to do their work and to do them most effectively. And so it's quite supportive in nature. Add to this that the supporting cast also acts to keep the essential pieces of the puzzle together as you start to become fatigued. And when you're racing or training for longer, you get fatigued, it's normal. Now, we always discuss this concept. We call it form under fatigue. Every athlete's quest to retain the use of the prime muscles when you're getting buggered. But a 360-degree strength program is the very best gateway for you to achieve this. And finally, by overloading your prime sports-specific muscles, via higher load strength training, as well as a little bit more of the explosive plyometric work, it is your route to free up a single word, potential. In fact, there's just recently a great research paper in which we'll put in the show notes again that showcase by adding overload strength work improves your economy. And I want you to think about it in this term. Think about your muscles as having a whole series of lights, like lights on a Christmas tree. And they must illuminate for that muscle to become activated. By you hitting consistent and progressive strength, it ignites more lights. And this is just a simple word, potential. It doesn't mean because there are more available muscles in the mix that you're suddenly faster or stronger or able to create more power over a set duration. But what it enables you is to activate this potential within the strength-based low-cadence riding and or the hill-based running. In other words, your strength program is the wingman. It's the wingman to your key endurance strength-based work. And so, as I've said many times before, you don't get faster because of the strength work. It doesn't act like that. But at the same time, you likely won't achieve optimal results from your training without the strength work. 
It is the third leg of the stall in your performance arsenal. Low cadence riding, hill-based running, and on top of it, strength training. Your path to improve technique, feeling stronger, and getting faster. Goodness me, all rather compelling food for thoughts, don't you think? And I think it's stuff that I don't think that you can ignore in your training recipe. I hope that helps. Remember, don't miss out on our free supporting education with this. No strings attached. Purplepatchfitness.com forward slash fast course training or for the Americans, the Yankee Poodles in the listenership, fast course training. But I hope it helps. A couple of weeks for the triathletes coming at you. We've got some fun stuff coming. Have a super week. Please stay healthy. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!